Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of art. For there is nothing else. Some artists make a Hello folks and welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am and always will be Albert Shivers and I'm excited for today's episode. The guest on Planet Shivers today is JC Capril, the exciting and insightful musician who spans from Pennsylvania to Virginia, and we cover that much ground in conversation, I gotta say. Before we get to JC, though, just want to fill you guys in on a little bit of what I've been up to. Last week was a bit up and down for me with some car trouble. I ended up missing the big show at King Coffee with Nate Marks, Rubik's Pube, Tony Viagra, and Joey Tepidino, and a bunch of other talented folks. I beat myself up on it for a couple of days. I don't like missing shows. Car trouble got in the way. It's all sorted out now and didn't get in the way of my Pocono Raceway weekend. I spent Saturday and Sunday at Pocono Raceway with a little stop in between on Saturday night at Mahoning Valley Speedway, which is a fantastic local track. Um, The vibe isn't just about the cars going in circles. It's the whole... Um, county fair, carnival kind of vibe to it that's a lot of fun. I definitely recommend checking out Mahoning Valley Speedway. Not that far away from the drive-in, if you're familiar with Mahoning Drive-In. With summer being here, I've been getting the bug, especially on these 90-degree days, I've been getting the bug to lock the door and jump back into some collage work. I've been secretly stockpiling most of the winter and the spring up in my attic, old magazines, new magazines and calendars and stuff, all sorts of things to chop up for collages. So I'm excited to jump back into that. In closing, uh, my art and the art of some other fantastic artists is now available at lizzybordenshop.com. All sorts of artwork and tchotchkes dedicated to Lizzie Borden. My stuff is there, along with a lot of other cool stuff. July 3rd, there'll be an art festival right here in Strasbourg for their first Saturday. This will be my first time doing the festival, but I'm excited about it. It'll be outdoors, so come and say hello. And some of my new work will soon be on firstdibs.com. I'll let you all know about that. Find out more what's going on on my Facebook, Albert Shivers or on Instagram, at Albert Shivers, and on Patreon, Albert Shivers Artist. And I am now accepting tips, if you feel so inclined, through Cash App, using dollar sign Shivers Art. Now, that's enough of an ear beating from me. Let's get to my conversation with musician and songwriter, J.C. Capril. And you'll hear from me on the other side of the conversation. You ever thought of um, changing your music? No. Changing your Why should you change music? Mozart didn't change. Bach didn't change. Some people call it progressive, Louis. Well, what is progressive? You tell me, because all we play is good music. We never did worry about styles. Ain't no such thing as styles in music. Ain't but two kinds, good or bad. That's all. 
Now that progressive and all that jujitsu music and all that, you can have it. I'm not interested because I get my applause for playing good. In any language, a note's a note. Do you think then that some of these um, people that play today uh, spend too much time in worrying about fantastic pieces to play and forget the simplicity? I'm not interested. If I buy a record, it suits my taste, got the beat and the tone and what I like, that's all. I ain't worried about the fellas, they ain't what they ain't doing. That ain't my position. Uh, I got a lot of my personal worries. So I go by my ear, what I hear. That's why I buy records. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am Albert Shivers, and I'm excited to be joined today by musician J.C. Capril. Thanks for doing the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be and here. You're, and you're fresh off the road. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Are you road-weary at all? Um, not too bad. I've gotten used to the travel up. Um, it's only about five, five and a half hours, so usually I do it with one stop. Um, but that's why I like to do it in the morning, because yeah. I can wake up. Get a little bit of nighttime driving, a little mm-hmm. bit of daytime driving, and then when I get up here, I can just feel it out. If I'm tired, it's nap time. If not, gotcha. I have a whole day I can do things. Gotcha. Like come do a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was from Virginia you came up. Yes, uh, right from Richmond. Cool. So you're originally from around this way. Yes. Um, I uh, I lived in like the Kungletown, Broadsville, West End area. Um Pretty much my whole life. Technically, I was born in Jersey, but nine okay. months really doesn't count. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, for my whole life. So I was always in Stroudsburg, always like in the Valley, always in the Poconos. So this this is this is home to me. Richmond is is a little bit of culture shock. <laughs> okay, gotcha. What um what made you move down to Richmond, Virginia? Um, so years ago, I was actually set to move to California, okay. um, to go to school out there. Um, it was about five probably about five years ago. Um, took a trip out there, explored it, thought it was really cool, but could never actually got into the mindset that I could live there. Um, mm-hmm. felt like it was a really cool place to visit. I have a really good friend out there. Um, and the school was awesome. It was beautiful, but way more expensive than they had originally mm-hmm. told me. So there was a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I came back and my best friend who lived in Richmond, mm-hmm. I called her and was like, hypothetically, I rent a car and come visit you. She goes, what and I said okay I'm sorry I've already rented a car and I'm gonna come visit you is that okay and she goes um yeah that that's fine and so I went down to Richmond and explored and fell in love with it so I've been there a couple more times it was always a joke Jace you should move down here and this yeah. past year I mean everybody's world got turned on its head yeah. so I kind of went you know why not just kick it up a notch so yeah. I we uh, found an apartment back in October and I moved down in January What's the music scene like down there? Um, it's really cool. Um, there's a little bit of everything. Like it's, it reminds me a little bit of here because okay. it's very community driven, um, and it's, um, it, it's still growing. I mean, the city itself is still growing. It's, okay. it's not a very big city, but there's so much expansion going on everywhere. It's, it's cool because there's different pockets of different types of music you can find anywhere. You can find the more urban style. You can more find a country feel you can find more the, the rock and the metal and the punk and it, it's it, there's a little bit of everything everywhere and um it, it, i feel like music communities in general are all kind of hitting the reset button because of what we all went through right. like this past year so as things are reopening as things are starting to you know allow music and the arts to come back into their establishments and festivals and everything else um it's it's starting to re-blossom i guess so it's been it's cool being there during that time so 
it's 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 been a lot of fun. It's a really cool scene. Yeah, no, it sounds like I've I've spoken to some other people who've been down there, and I've only heard good things. So, yeah. <laughs> so what uh, what got you started in music? Um, so I have to blame that one on probably, well, technically my parents, because like I I was always. My parents were always musically inclined when they were younger, and I, okay. the whole like, well, I guess it transfers to the kids thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I had a fake like a little guitar when I was a kid. I'll never forget. I wrote, it was it was a little fake guitar. I but I probably had like six strings on it, but like it wasn't tuned. It was mm-hmm. just plastic, whatever. And I used to beat the heck out of it. And I I remember I would sing. I was probably like six years old or something. Going, I've got the mama blues, and just beating on this thing. And it was uh, it wasn't until I was probably about. 12 years old that my grandfather actually gave me um my uncle's old guitar that was bought for him it was like mm-hmm. a knockoff gibson sg from like a sears and robot catalog okay. from the 70s um i still have it it's one nice. it, it, it doesn't work anymore all the electronics are shot but it hangs over my bed back mm-hmm. in my apartment but that kind of set me off i started playing like you know exploring school bands where they make you play like a little recorder when you're a kid yeah. and then when I got older, I wasn't really into guitar. I was um, I was more into like drums. Okay. So it wasn't until like I, I started moving away from the school thing that I started picking up the guitar more. And yeah, then I guess the rest is history after that. But it, uh, my parents got me started on one little guitar when I was younger, and then my grandfather with uh, with my uncle's guitar, probably when I was about twelve years old. Mm. What kind of music were you listening to at the time? Oh wow. Um, it see. It, I have to say this to my parents' credit because, so my, I, I tend to play now um, when I do like my cover songs and, and like mm-hmm. my pub shows, um, a lot of like classic rock and country style stuff, a lot of Southern rock, things of that nature. I'll do play like some more modern stuff, some poppy things, mm-hmm. metal, you know, I, I even do like a blues version of an Eminem song. Okay. Um, yeah, but I've seen that. It, it came out good. It's, it's, I like it. I, for that, I usually get... Oh, that was a really cool take on Eminem. Or, oh, wow, that was a really vulgar blues song. But when I was younger, it was my parents. It was my parents and my grandfather. My uh, my parents would listen to a lot of classic rock. Um, uh, Bob Seger was a huge one. Um, my mom is a huge Eagles fan. Um, and my grandfather was just like classic country. So like, mm-hmm. you had uh, 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 Good names could drive me like Clint Black and okay. uh, Alan Jackson and and places and people like that. So, gotcha. um, a lot of the classic country, a lot of the classic rock, and which works out because like my bands and everything now, and even me playing solo, I'll break out some of these more classic songs right. that um, I guess a lot of people don't necessarily play because yeah. they're just I guess becoming dated. You know, sixties, seventies, eighties stuff is. Sometimes it feels like, oh, yeah, the 80s were 20 years ago. And you're like, no, that was 40 years ago. Yeah. So people will tell me, like, oh, wow, I didn't expect somebody to play that. And I go, well, my parents raised me right. Yeah. So it's it's uh, more the, the older, I guess, older stuff, you could say it now. Yeah, and I feel like like you, two names you mentioned is Clint Black and Alan Jackson. It, it's That era is in a weird bubble right now mm-hmm. where, to my vision... It's not quite old enough to be like on the same pedestal as like Johnny Cash or Will and Jennings in country, but it's but it's old, but it's definitely not current music anymore. Right. So it, it hasn't totally shifted to classic. I think a lot of people have kind of aren't remembering those guys that were in that mm-hmm. little section there 
I would put Toby Keith in that same generation. You'd put Toby now. Keith and Alan Jackson in the same well, that, one? In the, that, oh. the same, in the same generation. <laughs> but no, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it's the same idea as like, um, like how the way people will talk about like, um, um, like Lead Belly when yeah. it comes to the blues or like even Elvis, if you want to go that route. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a generational the way things age. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, I used to, um, out of college, I used to work for 99.9 The Hawk. Okay. And it used to make me laugh when I would hear like Counting Crows on 99.9 The Hawk yeah. or like uh, uh, um, Goo Goo Dolls on that. And I'm thinking, like, this is 99.9 The Hawk. This is a classic rock station. That right. stuff is 90s music. And I'm yeah. going, I'm not ready for this. So it's, yeah. I think it's a general or a, a generational like aging of the music. And I agree with what you're saying is Alan Jackson isn't quite like, and, and, and um, Clint Black and, and artists like that, even mm-hmm. you could say Garth Brooks. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not quite that that golden age of, of country music, but they are starting to be considered classic because of you know as we're getting older. I mean, the kids nowadays probably don't even know who they are. <laughs> right, right, and that's the thing. To to you or I, it would be oh, that's more current because we kind of grew up. With exactly. That. So you and we want to deny how old we are. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned Lead Belly, and he watches every show. That's awesome. Um, that is so you, awesome. Do you listen to a lot of old blues? Um, a little bit. I got into it. I, I'm not very well versed at all. Um, I got into it because, um, believe it or not, when I, I used to do carpentry, okay. um, I used to talk to this one uh, foreman we had about music every once in a while. We talked about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would brought up blues music, and we started talking about it. And one of the artists he had mentioned was uh, an artist called Lead Belly. And... So I started listening to it and like, it was funny, it, it, it's, it's horrible that I compare it to this, but my grandfather, bless his heart, was not a singer, um, couldn't hold a tune in a bucket, mm-hmm. and he would walk around and like, just to annoy people, which was hilarious, he would go, my dog has fleas, and it, it was the most annoying thing in the world, but it was hilarious as a, as a right. child hearing your grandfather sing this. Uh-huh. And... It was weird. It didn't sound anything. Like, it was just a weird feeling that listening to Lead Belly, that old like almost crackly recordings, mm-hmm. and that old school style of it, and the way the the vocals are just warm because of the different recording styles mm-hmm. they had. It just it was it made me reminiscent of those memories of my grandfather, and I don't know why because I it wasn't like my grandfather was singing blues or anything. Right. Um, but so I started listening to it, and it just became. I listened to all types of music. I'm very mm-hmm. like emotionally based when I listen to my music and. It's weird. The amount of sunlight that's coming through the clouds that day affects what I listen to. And uh, just certain times I get in just kind of a blues mood and like, you know, lead belly or like even starting to venture into the more rock side of it, like Wilson Pickett and like okay. stuff like yeah. that. It's just, it's a very cool style of music. And it's, it's kind of a foundation for a lot of what most music later became. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is the beginnings of the DNA. Oh yeah. Of what then came after. Like there were there were just so many musicians back then, who were being recorded, and um, I don't know if you have you ever heard of Alan Lomax. I no, I don't. Okay, that's fine. So he was um, he was a producer and a recorder. Um, he wasn't a musician, but he would just pick up with like one other guy, and a recording machine, and just drive through the south. And if he saw a guy or a woman just sitting out on the porch with an instrument. He'd pull over and try to record them. And then he'd get word of mouth, oh, well, you should go see Fred down the road because Fred plays a hell of a banjo. And then he'd go see Fred, and then Fred would tell him about two other people. 
and he just worked his way across and he was he found muddy waters he found a lot of musicians who ended up becoming a big deal wow and getting them down on vinyl or some form or right. tape and getting them out there giving them a little bit of a leg up that's to, cool introduction and who was that again alan lomax, alan lomax. You, i'll have to check that out yeah if you type into any like google or youtube like alan lomax recordings they've made a bunch of comps and like playlists of all the things he's recorded he also used to go to prisons and record the prison songs that's cool there's a very there was this is probably like maybe four three four years ago Nicki minaj did a song that had an alan lomax sample in it really so now i don't really listen to Nicki minaj but i was in a gas station up in uh, mount pocono and they're playing this song and i'm with a friend and i'm like that's that's rosie that's the name of the song that she had sampled i'm like that's an old prison recording like no she wouldn't and i'm telling you that's what it is and i had it on the computer and i pulled it up it blew my mind so i have a question for you yeah um because i mean you seem very like uh, uh, like verse at least in in like a lot of the older side at least the roots of music and where yeah. how it's kind of evolved and it's i bring it up for a reason but mm-hmm. like you mentioned the whole Nicki minaj sampling yeah. the 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 song um does that ever annoy you to hear like modern music sampling songs like that or do you think it's a cool way to reinvent it or like how do you feel about that i'm kind of flipping the script no that's the funny. That's funny. <laughs> um there was a time when it would bug me okay uh, now I love it because and it hit me if I can go into a quick story New Year's Day or New Year's Eve probably about four or five years ago is when that flip that script flipped for me okay because I'm I watched the ball drop um, I was with friends the ball drops and they do the the song uh, is that pop of circumstance? Or no, that that's the graduation thing. Pop of yeah, circumstance. But it's um, well, it's this, they always sing it. The yeah. first song of New Year's, and right after that they play Louis Armstrong's "What a Wonderful World." Now I'd had I'm a big old jazz fan. I like Armstrong's early work. Um, I can do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> so, "What a Wonderful World" that song would get under my skin. Because it was all people knew of him. Right. And me knowing all this about him was like, there's more to him than that. There's so you much know, he more. invented jazz. So I had, would have that chip on my shoulder. But I'm watching the ball drop. They start playing What a Wonderful World. And it hit me different. To say that, wow, okay, maybe this is all people will remember of him. But damn it, he's still there. Right. You know, long dead. Oh, yeah. And still there. He's still in the culture. So that started me to have a new mindset. And when I hear a new artist sample something old, even if it doesn't get credit as a sample, which hopefully right. it does, right. but even if it doesn't, it's a, it's, I see it as, okay, that old stuff, it's still there somehow. It's still in the culture somehow. And I guess if, if I have any purpose, it's to politely point it out. And I I actually, I think that's a great take on it because, so the reason I brought it up in in the connection to it is so growing up, um, my dad was a huge Santana fan. Um, and so I grew up listening to a lot of it. Like one of my first CDs I ever had was, um, 
I think it was uh, Santana's like Supernatural album, and so it, it, and Santana was obviously known for bringing out a lot of different artists and and, and you know, like uh, featuring them and everything. And there was one um, that he did, Maria Maria, which is a very popular song. A lot of people know it, mm-hmm. and so I I always loved that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was a couple years ago I heard uh, Rihanna sample the the guitar portion of it and okay. play it in her song. I forget what her song was, but I remember coming on the radio. I was like, oh, I love this song. And then it wasn't Maria Maria. I was like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> and I like, but I had to similar to what you were saying, kind of take a step back and go like, that's the beauty of music is like, in a weird way, it kind of maybe not makes the person, but makes the idea of the person become uh, uh, immortal in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because it, you're taking something that was their art form, their their creativity, something that was individual to them, and it transcends the standard like lifetime of just you know you know you create it and then you go away it's, it, right. it's a little bit different than that because of things like obviously radio play and streaming mm-hmm. and, and and cds and way that works but also right. the way it influences other artists kind of like how we were talking about the the, the blues yeah. it's it lays a foundation whether it's been sampled or it's been gone to for you know interpretations or mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of cool that that it still grows and finds its place in time, even if it's kind of changing its original way. Yeah. So it, it's it's cool. I was curious about how you felt about right. that because originally I it annoyed the living heck out of me, but I yeah. since have been able to take a step back and appreciate. I guess it it's it, it it's reaffirming its importance over time. Right, and I, I've developed with just about all arts a more like for lack of a better term, like a macro view of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a large view of things, considering, you know, if we take music and look at it just as one thing over all the decades. Right. And the early traditions of music was always, it was always being passed. Right. Down. So you can look at it that way too, and I've grown into that mindset of saying, okay, Rihanna's going to sample a Santana tune, Okay, well, she wouldn't sample something she didn't like, probably. Right. I mean, we could also argue, like, somebody put this to me with the Nicki Minaj tune. She's like, well, she may have never even heard that song. It could have been the producer. True. Okay, fine. It's the producer then. But yet, they're still playing it at the Exxon at Mount Pocono. Exactly. You know, and a, a young Nicki Minaj fan, if, if out of a hundred, if one of them says, what is that? What right. is that from? And goes back, and maybe they like it. I don't know. Like that, there's so much to explore, and I'm someone who likes to dig backwards. That's awesome. And see where things have come from. So it all, when you look at it from my point, when you look at it from the big perspective, it it's all just growing off of one another, mm-hmm. and we're all kind of just borrowing a little bit here and a little bit there, and applying it to whatever we have in us and are putting out there with our own twist. So it used to bug me. It, it doesn't anymore. So. <laughs> You've grown to appreciate the art that is within the art. Yeah, yeah. Because it's also it's a waste of time to be annoyed. Oh yeah. And get angry over something too. I, I learned that <laughs> the hard way too. So it's better off to just just enjoy it. That's cool. So when you started first playing music, what was it that you were playing? Oh, um, that's a hard question. Like, 
it was I was probably when I first started it was pretty much just noise <laughs> um my parents I, I sometimes joke because my parents I don't know why they did this but they bought me an amplifier before they bought me a tuner which I'm sure they regret too um okay. <laughs> but it was it was probably like styled off a lot of the classic rock stuff that I was always listening to um when I first started learning guitar it was a lot of power chords and a lot of your basic chord structures like um which again, then I, I got away from it and I played drums um, on a band setting. Mm -hmm. um, but I always kind of found my way back to more of a, a, a classic rock structured style of music. Um, and even when I got older and I started playing guitar more often, mm -hmm. a lot of the, the drumming and the percussiveness of the way I had learned music previously, I beat the living heck out of my guitars when I play. Um, people are like, why don't you play electric guitar? Like, you don't have to hit it so hard. I'm like, yeah, but there's a percussiveness in the acoustic wood. Right. So um, it, it was probably just like all derivative from a lot of that classic rock stuff. Okay. When um, when did you first start playing live? What was that like, playing in front of oh, you? Oh, wow. Um, that was terrifying. Because, um, <laughs> like, I'd always done music, but I'd never thought of it as something like, it was weird. I always idolized like any performer or any like I was I was the kid who like when they ask you what do you want to be when you're a kid? Well, my mm -hmm. first thing I wanted to be was like a paleontologist. Like I thought really? it was awesome to dig up dinosaur bones. And then I got older and I was like I want to be a rock that star was, paleontologist. That was my first really? dream job too. Yeah. That's awesome. And none of the kids, all the kids are like what is that? We were all as yeah. lame as Ross on friends. <laughs> um, but um, then I got older and I was like, I want to be a rock star. I still want to take up dinosaur bones, but I want to be a rock star. Um, but like my brain never like actualized the idea like, oh, that's always something you can do. Um, and not to say that I am, I'm just saying that it, like the, the, the idea of performing never crossed my mind. And then as you grow up and you know, I mean, when we're kids, we're horrible to each other. So like, it was this like naturalized fear of the the stage like i had stage fright like i wouldn't believe the idea of getting up in front of people was terrifying mm -hmm. um and then i uh, but i would still play guitar like for friends and like i bring my guitar to school and like mm -hmm. stuff like that but playing like a show or like a, you know like the little school events never right. um i met a friend of mine um they were doing like a it wasn't a battle of the bands but it was just like a musical showcase at okay. um the school and a friend of mine was like, you should do it. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And um, I ended up playing. And the crazy part was when I played, because of all the stage lights, I couldn't even see the audience. Mm -hmm. I was so blinded by the lights right. that like I, all my anxiety kind of went away because I, I couldn't see everyone. So the whole fear of everyone's looking at me, it didn't matter because I couldn't see them looking at me anymore. Okay. Um, so I did that and like it subdued my, my, my stage fright, but I never did it again for years. Like that was, that was in high school that I did it. Okay. Um, it wasn't until I was about 24, 25. Um, mm -hmm. I had been dating someone at the time and um, I played guitar for her all the time. And she was like, you should really like do an open mic or something. I was like, no. Right. Um, but she kind of pushed and pushed and pushed and finally I was like, fine, I'll go do one. And it was actually at Sarah Street okay. um, was the first place I had ever gone out to an open mic and I fell in love with it. Like I was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it, the music, obviously, the, the ability to be on stage, it was just, it was electrifying. But also the people that you can kind of connect with. Um, I've, I've since always said that like music is kind of like, 
it's kind of a weird like alchemy because it's like it, it's neurological manipulation in a way mm-hmm. because you're you're just creating vibrations but you affect somebody each person completely differently and it's all like an emotional response it could be yeah. you know traumatic it could be enthusiastic it could be euphoric it could be you know horrible it could be annoyance it could be all you know millions and billions of different emotions all from playing an instrument or drumming or clapping or playing it it's 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 crazy that music has that power mm-hmm. and i kind of got hooked on that um so it wasn't until i was about 24 or 25 that i like really was like this is something that i like to do mm-hmm. um but it was like an open mind thing i would do it like when it's, well maybe like 23 24 and then it was probably when i was about 25 um uh a, a guy i'm friends with brian roder um him and me had maybe played guitar like twice. It was just ha- you play guitar, I play guitar. We sort of kind of know each other. Mm-hmm. Want to get together and jam? We did it maybe twice. Once at my house, once at his house. That was it. Right. I got a phone call from him on like a Tuesday night, going, "Are you doing anything on Saturday?" No. Mm-hmm. Well, I apparently have a show booked, and I don't have it a band anymore. So you want to mm-hmm. play a show? I'd only been pl- playing open mics for a couple years. Right. I'd never been really in a band before. Like, I've been in bands, but we played in basements. Um, right. And suddenly I was like, well, do you have anybody else involved? He goes, I think I have a drummer. Sure. Do we have a music? He goes, but we'll make it work. We played a three-hour show. The crowd loved it. We played for an extra half hour. We had 22 <laughs> songs that I think we knew. It was a lot of guitar solos. Um, <laughs> and that kind of reaffirmed this, like, weird little addiction that I got because... I got to do something that brought me so much joy, playing music and and making noise and doing something that I loved. And I've always been kind of loud and a little bit brash. I mean, I'm I'm kind of reserved and shy at first when I meet most people, but once like I open up, I'm kind of a a bull in a china shop. (laughs) And I got to do that through music, which I love, but then I got to see its effect on people. And I always said it was kind of a symbiotic relationship is I'm having the time of my life and like, I can't stand still on stage. I don't like to sit. I, I mm-hmm. jump around and run around. And, um, so I'm having every time and I exhibit that physically. And then when I see a crowd get into it or somebody tapping their hand or tapping their feet or clapping their hands or nodding their head or dancing or whatever, I always said the biggest compliment is motion. Like if I, mm-hmm. if I can make you move, mm-hmm. I'm doing my job. So if I see that, it makes me happier. I get more excited. I sing better. I perform better. I'm more active. It usually, you know, is reciprocated because they get more into it. And it's cool that it's like symbiotic role of, a, of, of energy exchange between me and the audience. So it was something I kind of gotten addicted to. Um, mm. But if it hadn't been for doing like open mics when I was 23, like, and there's so many artists that are like, oh, I've been doing, well, I started playing guitar when I was 12, making music my whole life. But I never even considered performing in front of people until I was pushed out to do it on like yeah. my early to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm glad I finally did. And it's been a roller coaster since, but yeah, I, was, I guess I was kind of a late bloomer in that concept. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like you definitely took to it. Oh, Hopefully. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's, it's the best. <laughs> the joke of it is yeah. I always said it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. Mm-hmm. So I want to get booked at a nudist colony <laughs> um, and see if I can take it up a notch. Right. And a couple of years ago, uh, one of the nudist colonies in the area gave us, gave my band their card and was like, Hey, can we put you on our like to call list just in case? And we're, I was like, this is a dream come it's true. All coming together. It never actually <laughs> happened. I was 100% down for it. But like, I was like, this, this was my running joke. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the best feeling in the world. It's hands down my favorite thing in the world. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, I, 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 it blows my mind that I never got started doing it younger right. because of how much I enjoy it. Yeah. That, that's the case with a lot of folks. You know, it's, I don't think it's ever too late no. to get into anything. It's just a matter of how much your heart's in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, like I said, I mean, if it hadn't been for that, that, that previous past girlfriend, who knows when, or if I would have ever made it to, but it, sometimes it takes that little push. Like yeah. I was like, fine, whatever, I'll do it. And I, I couldn't ever be more grateful because that's what got my, that little push. Just get up on stage, do your thing in a mic. And I was like, this, this is, this is where I need to be all the time. Right. So I, I love it. It's like I said, it is the best feeling in the world. And I'm lucky to get to do it as often as I do. So has, has your music, does it play into or has it helped you through your transition at all? How much has music been a part of that? Oh my, life? that's, it's, it's probably like, so the, the thing about my transition is um, I'm lucky because the fact that I did it with music. Mm -hmm. um, I know, like, I've spoken to tons of trans people and, and people who are not and, like, allies and everything else and, like, right. people of all walks of life. And I get this all the time. And I, I, I understand why they say it, but it, it's... I think it's... It's uh, it's, it's misdirected because it shouldn't come to me. I get told I was brave and it's amazing that I do this. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But, like, there's so many people, like, trans individuals who... Mm -hmm. Um, are way worse situations. I was lucky that I had a medium like the arts and music to do it through because I came out as trans um, right around the same time that I started performing. Okay. So like over the last seven years or so, people have watched me on stage in front of them slowly change and become the person that I am. Mm -hmm. um, and some people go, oh, well, isn't that like, isn't that nerve wracking? Like being in the position, like you're, you're just out there. Like, it's yeah. not like, you, and sometimes, yeah, it was, but again, I, I think I was lucky because I always had my bandmates. I've always played in bands or duos. Like I just recently, now that I moved, um, mm -hmm. started like dedicating to solo stuff. Obviously okay. I don't have my original band and duos. Yeah. Um, but I've always played in some kind of a group setting. So I always had like a team. I always had a support system. I always had my friends and basically at this point, my family, mm -hmm to support me in whatever. Like these were my brothers or in, in case of Michaela, like my sister, like right. I've always had these people who they had my back no matter what. And if anyone ever questioned the way I looked or the way I dressed or the way I expressed myself or whatever, at the end of the day, if I absolutely needed to, it, you could, it could always be written off as like, she's a musician. Yeah, they're eccentric. Mm -hmm. They they while out a little bit. For the longest time, people just thought that the '80s threw up on me. I had the big hair, and I wore the freaking tight pants, and uh -huh. the freaking. So it was. I could always use the art form as kind of a security blanket. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of people who don't, who don't have, I think that's that's true to say across the board with arts. Whether you're a painter or a photographer or you know any any kind of a medium, at which point you can use your creativity. I think it helps people deal with things like this, like being trans or, or anything in the LGBTQIA right. um, like community. So like, it, if it wasn't for that, I don't know how I would have done it because it's always been kind of one in the same. Um, okay. It's, as time grew, like it, I kind of became, I guess, an advocate for the community because I was always so, so open and so visible. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's definitely like, like I said, the, the two have always gone hand in hand. It's affected some of the music that I've written. 
Um, the first song that I ever wrote is a song called Time for a Change, um, which I've had people over the years, it, it, was one, it was the first song that I ever introduced to my band. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, it, 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 it went on fire. Like people would come to shows and they would request the song. Um, but it was always fun because everybody had a different, like different definition of what the song meant. It was okay. either political or it was like a family oriented thing, or it was like, you know, a life struggle or it was something, 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 it was time for a change. And there was only like ever like one or it, the numbers grown now, but at the time there's only like one or two people who were able to go, is this about, and I'm like, yeah, it is. Right. <laughs> and so it's always kind of bled through in the music, some ways a little bit more like, obvious other times it's more on the back burner but um like i said it's a, my art and my transition have always kind of played off of each other i they found strength from each other songwriting my creativity when you're <laughs> reinventing who you are in a kind of right. an abstract and not generally accepted way um it makes your brain kind of think outside the box which is great for any kind of level yeah. of, of art and creativity um whereas on the flip side my music also gave me a bit of a safe space and a, a sense of community um, that I was always able to to find. Like, I, if it wasn't, especially this area is kind of I think special um, for music community because it's still growing and there's so yeah. much different style coming out of it. Um, I know um, that there's great open mics in the area that I, I frequented all the time when I was here, and it was always mm-hmm. cool to see the different little. But it's still growing and still like evolving. Yeah. And I was lucky to be a part of that because it gave me an extended kind of creativity mm-hmm. of, of family. And it always came back and I never, I never felt unsafe. I never felt disliked or unaccepted. And it was because of this, this awesomely strong sense of community within the music community in this area. Mm-hmm. So with my whole transition and everything with that, like they go hand in hand. I could not have had one without the other. Gotcha. Was it was it very was it a freeing feeling to be going through that and also having the outlet of being on stage? Oh, uh, absolutely. Because it like 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 I said, the I was able to explore early on. I was able to explore just like the like the way I would dress and like different gender expressions in that way. Um, on stage with my band, and at the end of the day, if something wasn't i mean not that anything was ever not accepted but if i was uncomfortable with something or somebody else like it could always just be written off as another form of creative expression musician being an artist being eccentric and mm-hmm. being creative in that way the way they are um so it like i said it, it opened up it made it a like how you said it was a very, it was very stress-free it was it was like it was almost like a little protective bubble of being able to explore myself mm-hmm. And having, like I said, the safety net of, well, it isn't that she's trying to figure out her gender. It's that, well, she's just eccentric and a musician and that's what they do. They're all weird. Right. Um, so it, it, it definitely made it a lot easier to kind of explore myself and figure it out. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, it's, it was just an art form. Right. Sunday! Sunday at 
New York National Speedway, the grand opening of the 1967 Bison. See in wheel-to-wheel competition, the 1967 390 cubic inch Ford Mustang Fastback. The 1967 396 cubic inch Chevrolet Camaro. The 1967 383 cubic inch Plymouth Barracuda. The 1967 400 cubic inch Firebird 400. The 1967 440 cubic inch Dodge Magnum R&T. Gas and fuel tractors that speeds up to 190 miles an hour at National Speedway, the big track in New York. It's the Long Island Expressway or Southern State Parkway to Sunrise Highway, Center Mariches, exit 56. Children under 12 free, unlimited free parking. Racing begins at 2 p.m. Sunday! Sunday at New York National Speedway. How much of your music now is original as opposed to covers? Are you writing more recently? <sighs> Um, yes. I, I don't write a lot. I mean, I do, I do write a lot. Like, for example, mm -hmm. I have stacks and books and like, I feel like if you're a, a, a musician, especially a performing one, um, everybody's got a stack of binders and a stack of paper and usually they're half torn up and there's a footprint on a couple pages and like they're, they're half songs. But, right. um, so I've always, I'm constantly writing, um, putting together a finished song that I play out. That takes a little bit because I'm kind of picky about what songs that I'll write to perform um, because that's uh, like I people have told me over the years like oh you should become a songwriter mm -hmm. um, there's good money in it if you can hit the all you need is one hit all you need mm -hmm. is one, one and there's truth in that but I'm that's also a lot easier said than it accomplished. is it is and I'm very uh, selfish with my music okay. I I have a hard time conceptualizing somebody else performing something I wrote because mm -hmm. I obviously write them for me and you know for my performance for my style it's just it's it's a weird thought to think of somebody else in Manitoba New Mexico I don't right. think that's a real place but um just performing my it's it's something that I'm sure I'll eventually get there and I'll wish I'd done it sooner mm -hmm. um but I've been I have been writing more the fact that I've completely changed my location and cities and everything else and everything I've gone through it's it's given me a nice little bag of thoughts and ideas to pull from. Um, I actually just finished a song, um, probably about, probably about a week or so ago. Um, it actually, it, it wasn't even related to anything trans or anything. It was, it, it's silly. I want I want to write a song about hooking up. Um, and so I wrote this whole, like, it's, it's got three different parts to stories of just people going out and be, you know, interactive. And I think it was kind of drawn on the fact that you know, this whole last year, we were so isolated from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this such a, a generalized mindset of like, I just want to go out and see people again. So right. I want to write a fun little song um, about kind of just going out and being a little bit free with yourself. Mm -hmm. But um, so I, it's it's definitely something that uh, I, I've enjoyed. But as far as my, my live shows, um, I do play a lot of covers. Um, I also understand that as a performing, you know, bar and pub and like cidery there's a lot of cideries and breweries and distilleries yeah. down there um you you have to pander to the crowd a little bit oh, so absolutely. you want to play stuff that they're gonna enjoy they're gonna tap their feet to and everything else and i i consider myself a little bit high energy like mm -hmm. i i definitely don't play stuff that people can nap to right. i'm a little loud um but with that i've also gotten the confidence and I guess, depending on which way you look at it, you could say the selfishness of, I play a lot of original music. Um, mm -hmm. If I play a three-hour show, I'd say 
I'm probably playing at least 45 minutes of original music in that show. Spaced out, kind of thrown in there. Um, I do a lot of stuff where I'll use an original song and piggyback it off of a cover. Um, mm-hmm. So that, like, it kind of kind of helps people remember the music that I write because they can, okay, uh, you did Every Rose Has a Thorn, but you combined it with Time for a Change. That was kind of cool. They remember the song that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also gives me the chance to kind of also test my music out. Um, I was... Uh, I was in the studio starting a solo album last year. Um, obviously, the pandemic screwed all that up. And I wasn't really vibing with the, the studio as much as I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first time in there, all the glitz and the glamour of being in an actual studio setting. Right. It was a little overwhelming, and I kind of ran with it, and then kind of fell out of love with that setting. So I've been working on getting back in to start doing a little bit more original work and do, getting that out there. Um, but over, over the last like year or two... Um, my original music has been played a lot more as far as when I go out and perform. And I, I, I like that way because, I mean, as any artist, you want to play your music regardless, but at, obviously when you're the style of artist that I am, you got to kind of make the crowd happy. So Summer right. of 69 gets played and, for, you yeah. know, so... There's nothing wrong with that. Either, <laughs> you know? From the point of view of someone who does not write music, when you're writing an original piece, you personally, do you... Um, do you start off with the music or does a lyric come to you that you'll put music to? I love this question because okay. I've been asking it a couple times and I love this question okay. because um, I think some artists are like music first. Um, like, uh, like my guitarist, Brian Roeder, um, he is a, he's a musician. He can play a lot of different instruments, but he's also an incredibly good guitarist. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the times where we'll sit down or he showed me original pieces he put together, it's always guitar first. Um, whereas like I have, um, certain friends that it's, it, they're more poets. So the, the artistry always came from the words first and then the music kind of flowed to match the tone. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it's always been a bounce back and forth. Um, I was always that really annoying kid in like middle school where the teacher would be like, okay, students, for the next two weeks, we're going to do poetry. And mm-hmm. the whole class going, oh, God. <laughs> and I'm sitting back going, yes, I can't <laughs> wait. And they're going, if you shut up, she might do this in five days. Don't make this go on. I'm like, I hope it's two months worth. <laughs> um, so I was always a poet first. But because of the fact that I was always, like I was a drummer first when I was, a, as far as a musical student, um, I, I learned to really appreciate like the physicality of percussiveness, like the way it kind of hits your body. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody puts a subwoofer in their car, you feel that vibration. You know yeah. what I mean? If, if when somebody turns the music up, you feel it in your body. That's why I like the acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Electric guitars are great, but it's more of like an auditory thing right. versus like an acoustic instrument where it's more of a, a physical like feeling of the music. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of bounce back and forth because sometimes. I'll sit around and I'll start, you know, messing around with a little riff or, you know, certain chord progressions and just the feeling that the music will give me will kind of evoke the words afterwards. But sometimes, like I said, I'm always writing, I'm always doodling. Um, Sometimes I sit down and I kind of, I'll start piecing together these words and these thoughts and I'll let that guide what kind of tonality the music wants to say. Um, so I always kind of bounce back and forth. That's why I like that question is because a lot of musicians fall one side or the other and mm-hmm. I've, I've always gone back and forth. Um, the last two songs that I've written, um, uh, It's One of Those Nights is one of them and uh, uh, Your Love is another one. Um, they were both uh, lyric first. 
I had a general concept of like, this is what I want to write about. Then it just kind of worked. The words came, music kind of followed based on the style that I wanted to. Um, but that's just, it's not always the way it works. I've always kind of gone back and forth. Gotcha. So what, um, what are, who, what are you listening to now? What's some stuff you're listening to now? Um, I'm, like I said, I, I'm always going to be a classic rock head. Um, I always go back, like I said, Bob Seger, I'm an Eagles fan. Um, I, I like a lot of the old hair metal and like the arena rock stuff. Mm-hmm. It was always this big energetic vibe, which, which I kind of translate to into my music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like, I like using as much energy as I can to make other people feel it. If I can make you smile, I go up to people after shows all the time mm-hmm. and I'll be like, I want to thank you. Because whether you realize it or not, your head was tapping, and it uh-huh. made me so happy. <laughs> like it, like it, it's. I always listen to that, but also like certain, uh, certain like different like it. Really everything, but I will say this specifically: some things that I've tried to get into um, mm-hmm. more um, because I think it's beneficial um, from an artist standpoint and from a community standpoint is getting more into artists that are local to your area you know artists that maybe have never cut a record they're just going out and especially their original works Mm -hmm. um because it's raw creativity Mm -hmm. um it's people it's unpolished it's not influenced by a producer or somebody in a studio or like a crowd reaction that's why Mm -hmm. i like open mic so much Mm -hmm. i've always been a proponent for them I, i think they're like the little dysfunctional family reunions for musicians and artists in general um because it's where you go to try out new material. It's where you go to find out if the stage is right for you. It's where you go to meet new musical people and collaborate. And, and especially for a, like local original music, um, you get to, and sometimes it's just not your thing. Sometimes it just doesn't feel right or sound good. Or, oh, that was a little off. That's the whole point. And I think there's a beauty in mistakes. Um, it's where I think some of the best art comes from, whether you're a painter or a poet or a musician. Um, so I think immersing myself in more of a local music scene, um, is something that I'm still doing. I'm still getting better at. Um, but also that's something that I've tried to listen and be more in tune with. I listen to everything that's on the radio. I try to dive into stuff a little bit Mm. more. Um, I said classic rock country. I've always been a fan of, um, I think it's a good storytelling medium um, yeah. where we grew up or at least where I grew up and everything like it's a little bit more humbled music um, versus some of the, the glitz and the glam of a lot of hip hop nowadays or like True. some of the heaviness that comes with a lot of rock though. I do enjoy myself some, some good solid crunchy rock. Mm-hmm. Um, give me some, some shine down, give me Hailstorm, uh, Theory of a Dead Man. Mm-hmm. Um, something that makes me want to be like, okay, oh, I just got off of work and I need to drive faster than I should and I need to get to where I gotta go. Like, so I, I listen to everything. It's usually mo- it's mood-based. It's how much sun is coming through the sky, mm-hmm. but I've been trying my best to, as far as music that I listen to, get in touch with, and now that I have a whole new community in Richmond, right. get in touch with that, like that very base, you know, homegrown original music. You can listen to a million things out on your Spotify or Pandora or the radio. But I think to appreciate the creativity, um, it, it's good to see what music is around your your specific area and what you have access to see live. I think it's just it's a good place um, to, to grow your appreciation of music. Gotcha. What, um, 
what are some projects and shows you got coming up? What are you working on now? Um, so I, uh, I, I've been booking pretty good down in, uh, in Virginia. Um, doing pretty good, uh, through the end of July. I'm working on a couple things near the end of that. Um, I said, I'm trying to get back into possibly a studio setting because I, it was fun and it was, it was a very good learning experience because it was a whole new, whole new avenue that I'd never explored before. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm eager to go back and explore that, but also be a little more hands-on. Um, I lost a lot of my control on my last attempt. Okay. Um, and when I sat back at the end, I went, it's great, but it wasn't me. I'd given up a lot of the creative control on a lot of my music. And when you're a solo artist, um, who attempts to do a full production, there's a lot of other hands in the pot. And mm. when you look at the final project, you're like, that's just not, it's not where it was in my head. So I, I've, I've wanted to get back in the studio, take a, a, a smaller step on it, mm -hmm. do some acoustic works um, to get my sound right and then grow it from there. Um, I said, um, working on booking as much as I can down uh, in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, I've been playing, luckily I've, I've been blessed that I've been playing almost weekly down there, um, sometimes two times a week. Um, really a, a good reception on, on my music and my sound down there. I still usually come back up to Pennsylvania, um, usually about once a month um, to, to play a couple shows up here. I still perform with a, an incredible good singer, Michaela Marie. Um, I still play with my band, the Bandana Brothers, from time to time. Um, so it, it, it's pretty much just keep trucking. I, I was very lucky last year to play as much as I did. There was a lot of artists that could not play at all. Yeah. I played like 92 shows last year. Nice. That wasn't the case all around. No. So then I up and rooted myself and went to a whole new city. So I, it, obviously I'm not going to have that same year, but mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like a reignition of the fire. It's like now I'm, I'm taking a step back. I'm, I went from being a medium-sized trout in a decent-sized lake here to a guppy in an ocean down mm -hmm. there. Right. So it's it's kind of like a little reignition re of the passion is going, okay, now I have to kind of start over. Mm -hmm. Like, I did okay up there. I was able to, you know, become part of a, a bigger community and, and have my foot in so many different projects and everything. And now I, that's kind of the goal down there is just regrow the music that I... I I know that I can do, but also like let it evolve and see where it goes in, in a kind of a new surrounding. So it's pretty much just kind of always been the thing is just play as much as I can. Yeah, that's, I think with any art, it's just a matter of doing it as often as yeah, exactly. you can. Exactly. That whole 10,000 hours theory <laughs> that everybody has beaten me over the head with over the years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the old milk, but I mean that open mic in specific. In yeah, I've never seen open mic like it. It's awesome. Yeah, I like Sarah Street. Um, for me, like. Like I said, I've I've hosted open mics. I at one point in time, um, a quick backstory. Sure. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off by the way. No, no, no. Go um, on. so 2019, early 2019, 
I got a DUI. I was a, my dog died. I was an asshole, and I drank, and I got a DUI. Whatever. I usually don't drink, mm. um, but my dog's dead, and I was sad. Yeah. So, so I got the DUI. I got sentenced in November of 2019. Okay. Um, it was my second. I've got the stupid interlock in the truck. Um, and so I was under, going to be under house arrest for all of December. I had gone to, I played probably at that point, like two or three shows a week. Um, I frequented all the old mics. You could tell me a day of the week and I knew probably at least two or three. Mm-hmm. I hosted one on Mondays. The only reason why was because there was nothing on Monday. So I was like, okay. we need one. And our slogan was make Monday suck less. Um, so there was one on Mondays and everything else. And then I, uh, for 30 days, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I was like, the house. So I started this page on Facebook called Rising Tide Music. Um, and it was a uh, promotions page. I told all of the artists. Sorry you know, to stop you. Is this page still exist? Do you still have it going? It's still up. It's, uh, it's inactive now because okay. I, it was specific for this area. I can't okay. do that justice living 300 right. miles away. Understood. Um, Understood. But at the time, being so avid in the music scene around here, like I knew so many artists. I, I went to open mics Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, play show, Saturday, play show, Sunday, there was an open mic. I was always doing something. I'm on house arrest. I can't do that. So mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I was at Sarah Street, hanging out with some friends, and I was like, it just, I wish I could do something to like still be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't, I don't remember what set it off in my head, but I was like, you know what? I have an idea. And then I, and that night, I sent out a video and an, a message to all of the artists that I could get in contact with. Right. And I said, send me your schedules. Send me your schedules for the next 30 days. And so what I did was, every single day, I put out just a little poster. I, I took my little right. photo, photo editing program, and I put together a little poster of all of the artists, what time they were playing, what location. It was daily. Every single day there was a new poster. And then at the bottom, if there was open mics, where they were located, what time, who ran it. And after 30 days, I was like, well, I figured out how to do it. And I was like, okay, I'm good. And it was supposed to only last 30 days, but it started to amass a little bit of a following. Word of mouth was a big thing. Um, And people actually were very receptive of the idea. Um, People were using it. I actually was getting reached out to by venues um, saying, hey, do you know an artist that I, I need I need somebody to cover Saturday night? I knew all of the artists. Yeah. So um, so then the Facebook the, the separate Facebook page outside of my personal page came along. Rising Tide became the name. And the concept was because, as we talked when I was out in uh, uh, California, mm-hmm. one of the days we were out in like, like their version of Little Italy. Okay. And there was a big like seascape. Somebody had graffitied on the wall. And it was this big like ocean with a bunch of ships, and it said, "A rising tide lifts all ships." And my interpretation of that, being such you know so involved in music, was mm-hmm. like, and I think it's also bigger to to all artists, but specifically to the music community. I went, as musicians, we're individual ships. Right. Um, we're all out on our own little oceans and journeys and trying to navigate these crazy waters of music, however we interpret it. Um, let's be more than that. Mm-hmm let's let's raise each other up let's promote each other and that's what the uh the concept was was like i was able to design this poster in the in the end usually took me between an hour to two hours every single day um saturday sundays maybe a little bit longer if there was 20 or 25 shows um so i took pride in it i took a lot of you know and i i I did my best to make it visually appealing and everything else Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, I wanted to create something that seemed interesting, seemed special enough that like people were comfortable and excited to be on it. Right. And on top of that, so hypothetically, you, you're an mm -hmm. artist. I put you on the list. Right. You see it. It looks like this, 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 whatever. It's something special. You're on a list. Right. You share it because mm -hmm. you're letting, Hey, the rising tide list is out. I'm right. going to be here. You've not just shared yourself and made it seem like there's a piece of content you were included in, but you've also shared all the other artists on that list. Right. So you yourself promoting yourself through my my work mm -hmm. have also then promoted all of the artists around your area. That was one thing. On top of that, other artists could use that list and go, well, you're playing at the Hideaway and you're playing at the Happy Hour Girl and you're playing at Shawnee and you're maybe places people had never heard of. So then they yeah. can contact those venues and say, hey, I heard you do live music. I was wondering if I could be on your list. Yeah. People who aren't musicians could then use it. It was like a TV guide. They Every day they got a list going, hey, I've never been out to Renegade Winery. They've mm -hmm. got an artist from four till six. Right. You want to go out and get some wine, maybe charcuterie. And, you know, it gave them the opportunity to see where the music was at. And the fact that it kind of grew the community and gave everyone a, like a, a, a focal point to, to find the music, to grow the music, to promote the music. That was the concept, was the you know, rising tide music. Don't be just ships. Be more. Mm -hmm. Be the tide. And that was the, always the, the little handle, was be the tide. Um, so I started that, and it was just, it was another example of like how I was so involved in music as much as I possibly could be here. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we, we jumped off because we were talking okay. about the Sarah Street <laughs> yes. open mic. Um, but it was it was something that like it grew and I did it every single day. It was um, December sixth of two thousand nineteen is when I started it. Um, I actually made an announcement and a final post on December sixth, two thousand twenty. One year to the day later, um, mm -hmm. announcing that the page would would become inactive because again, if I was moving, yeah, I couldn't do it justice. And I had people offering to take it over, um, but again, I think. It was a little bit of a selfishness and a little bit of wanting to wanted to maintain a sense of purity with it because mm -hmm. it was my baby, it was my concept, and people were like, "Oh, you get venues offered to pay me to guarantee their shows on there." Right. I always turned them down. Um, I had artists offering to pay me too. Can you put me near the top? Or yeah. Can you make my show a little bigger? <laughs> I always turned them down because it was never about me. Yeah. Um, I never, I usually never mentioned my name. I never showed my face. I probably showed my face like three times on the page ever, just to like a little update video, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to keep it so outside of focusing on me because the idea was everyone as an artist, everyone's on equal territory. That way it wasn't like, okay, somebody's, we're all on, you know, different levels anyways. We're all trying right. to reach different heights and we all have different skill sets. Some are better at this, some are, it wasn't about that. It was just simply saying we're all, musicians we're all artists here right if we can use something one central focus point that mm -hmm. brings us all up right it was never discriminatory it never said oh well you've only been playing for a year get you know book some more shows no 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 you can be booking your first show ever i don't care you could be you know playing a straight acoustic show with no speakers i don't care it wasn't right. about that it was simply saying if you're a local artist and i covered mostly stroudsburg um poconos area um, and then I reached into the valley a little bit when I, when I could, okay. um, 
But like I said, the whole idea was just to, to take everybody up a notch, to give everybody, if you were viewers, you had a place to find the music. Mm -hmm. If you were an artist, you had a place to, to find venues and to promote yourself. Like it, it was, it was something I was very, very proud of. And I, when I finally ended up having to bring it to an end, um, there was, there was a lot of uh, positive feedback from the community. People, people were a little upset that it wasn't going to continue because I, and on top of that, I met so many people and right. venues and was able to connect with so many people because, because I never made it about me because I kept myself so separate when it would come up. Oh, you're, you're a rising tide music. You're the, right. yeah, that's incredible. I, I watch that every day. Like I mm -hmm. it was, it was very humbling to see the project grow without me, without needing a person behind it because mm -hmm. it wasn't, that means it wasn't about me pushing it it was about what the community was able to indirectly create for themselves i just got to be the curator is basically so it was it was it was something really cool that i got to put together so i'm not sure how i got onto talking we about that but about <laughs> pub, and you guys blew the roof off the fucking place like you really did to the point where not that i mean my i had no expectations of, of anybody i take as it comes but yeah, like you guys blew that place away. That's I, I appreciate that. Like, um, I believe I think that night. I mean, me and Michaela have been in a duo for a, I want to say almost two years. Okay. Um, and I will say playing with her is the most fun I think I've ever had because we're we're very we're two very similarly weird and just silly people. Yeah. Um, you can see the chemistry. It's 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 like nothing I've ever experienced before. Um, the drummer who is usually there is mm -hmm. one of my best friends, Tyrone Bradley. Okay. Um, he's the drummer of my band. Um, again, he's one of my best friends. He is just energetic. He's loud mouth. He's a big personality. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that's always bled through his music. And it's been fun to watch him grow um, from what could have been considered just like a pocket drummer when gotcha. we started the band. He could play a rhythm. He could fill the space when necessary. That's mm -hmm. what he did. And he's grown and his creativity has grown over the last six years. And I've been lucky to be along for that like growth of a ride with him in music. And we've done duo shows more times than I can count. Um, so we would also do like this little trio, me, Michaela, and Tyrone called Acoustic Deviance. Okay. Acoustic Deviance was always my like my title for like my solo stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because the idea um, me and Tyrone had talked about it once before. Um, we were on a way to play a wedding show in New York, and I had said, I said, the way we play, the way that we create kind of like, we create like the desire to have a good time mm -hmm. because of music. And when we go and interact with people, it makes people feel kind of almost special. Oh, the, we get to talk to the band. Like, yeah. and I said, we're the, we're the, um, what did I say? We're motivation for deviance <laughs> because people want to take a step outside of their usual norm because they're like, okay, this is interesting. This is exciting. Like yeah. whether it's the interaction with us or just the music we create. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I created this concept of acoustic deviance that was like my quote unquote, like personal brand. Um, so we would do that as a trio setting. Um, and then Brian, my lead guitarist, Kenny, my bassist, both incredible musicians. I wish they would have been there that night, but it was fun because Michaela had never gone to, the old mill pub. And I think okay. she, she rarely goes to open mics if ever. So it was fun to take her to a setting that she was unfamiliar with and then place her in such a high energy and creatively yeah. driven setting. And then you add in all the pieces from Nick D'Souza's band and different people right. like that. It, 
I'm glad that it went, it was so well received because it, from my perspective, from the performing artist perspective, mm-hmm. it was so much fun. It yeah. was, I, I plan on going um, again this Tuesday and uh, I'll probably be at Josie Porter on Wednesday as well. Okay. Um, because like it's, it's just the open mic scene in general. I think it's, it's a good place for just creativity. I think it's a good place. It, it, it's homegrown. It's organic. It, it grows within people. And I think it's a good place to share it before it gets tainted by the stage or the, the sound room or just the overall production of it. Yeah. It makes it beautiful and shiny and sparkly and all that. But I think there's something magical about that and I think Old Mill Pub is a perfect example mm-hmm. of it because you get all of these artists. Brother Bear is such a, a, a good example where he just jumps up with anybody yeah. and the music will tailor to him. He'll tailor his style to the music. Yeah. And it's just, it's a perfect example of how creativity is always evolving. Mm-hmm. It's always growing. It's always adapting. And I think it's as people, we can learn a lot from that process. Yeah. So that's awesome that you, yeah. you, you go and you experience it because, like I said, it's, it's a special place to me, so it's awesome that it, it, it's, it's been such a, a cool experience for you. Yeah, no, I think, again, like it's, it's just talking in terms of one hand washing the other, you know, going there, meeting people. I've gotten uh, opportunities for my art mm-hmm. to be places. I've gotten opportunities for guests to be on this show and help grow the show as you guys get to promote what you're doing. So... The community, it's happening, you know, and oh, I yeah. hope it continues to go in the right direction and grow. I mean, it's a, it's a good spot, like, and I'm glad to see that's working for you because it's, it's that bleed over of artistry that I, I was talking about. It's, yeah. it's, it's a cool, like, almost, it's, it's our version of like a, 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 a dysfunctional networking event yeah. because we can, you can meet new people and explore and, and exchange ideas and it's just all while doing it while having a beer. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's an awesome, awesome situation. My wheel comes off and I hit the bed real hard. I get to whack every now one of you with a hammer. <laughs> Is that a deal? Who does that sound like? <laughs> Y'all need some incentive to keep my tires on, obviously. I think what the artist is trying to say, or that's what this means to me, it takes it one step further. And that's what I think it's cool, because that's what it looks like. I mean, I'm just being... Yeah, that's fine. Like, no, I, I enjoy hearing people's perspectives on it. I like it. I like it a lot. Most of my art, like, I'm inspired by a handful of other artists, mainly cartoonists, Bakshi, uh, Robert Crumb, um, cartoonists of, like, the 20s and 30s, because you go through, like, an old magazine, that was, like, art was so much more functional in society back then. Agreed. Because all the ads were hand-done art. Mm-hmm. Everything was hand-done. I have had a hard time swallowing Photoshop and mm-hmm. digital art. I try not to get too mouthy about it because I can get real mouthy. Right. I don't want to put anybody else down. I prefer to work by hand, and I just leave it at that. I also think it's... it's uh, so. A, 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 a comparison I can make is like modern day journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas modern day journalism really isn't journalism most of the time. It's sensationalism. Mm-hmm. The New York Post is not a, is not a newspaper. It's no. a sensationalistic <laughs> yeah. magazine. Right. It's big headlines. It's catchy phrases. It's freaking, it, it, it's, you know, grab your attention type mm-hmm. stuff. Um, their whole reason is, I mean, it's, it's a product of the environment, unfortunately. They have to do that because if they don't try to grab your attention, right. it's, it's clickbait. It, yeah. They're not going to sell the advertising space. They're not going to make any money. Yeah. Um, so I think that 
art in this sense with the digital digitalization of it um is one side had to compete with faster more you know consumable mediums like the internet and everything else so they then process of of evolution Mm -hmm. it was like well how do we take this up notch? well Mm -hmm. It's one thing to draw on a hand. I can do it faster on a computer. I can make it pop more. I can add effects. Right. I can do this. I can do certain techniques that are just easier, faster, and more you know, in your face on a digital medium. But if you look at the history of art, you take away the televisions and the computers and all of that. Mm-hmm. This is how art was distributed. Yeah. So it wasn't so much the focus of the subject, but what the subject within the art represented. There was so much more to be said in a picture because you couldn't find those statements somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it gave more power to the artist too because there were certain certain things that you can say through art that you can't say directly through words. Right. So I think that's cool that you're kind of staying true because it's it's there's more weight to the art than just a digitalization or just an or abstract way of looking at one subject. You're taking the medium and you're saying there's a layer below it that you should explore. That's cool. And like, I think that, that it's been lost in modern day work. A lot of modern day work, at least the stuff that gets attention Mm -hmm. is stuff that is designed as almost clickbait. It's designed to grab your attention quickly, make you pay for it and then move along or, you know, find a way to, to monetize the art, which is great. Everyone should be able to make money on their art. But when one becomes more important than the other, mm-hmm. I think it takes away. This, especially the black, is, is, do you normally do black and white or do you normally do black and white? It's, it flattens it because mm-hmm. I guess it's cliche. You have to look at it in black and white or the and say, well, there's a whole spectrum right. of gray. Colors can also be distracting. It's, it's also, I mean, you make something colorful, you yeah. grab somebody's attention. Right. The, this, you, you kind of say, this is just the, it, it's just, it's very cool. It's very cool. And I think it's, it's to be a, commended that you're, you're holding on to a lot of the roots of this particular art form. It's, it's, right. it's cool. It's really cool. Another thing about like sticking to my guns and, and, and keeping things by hand I think and it connects all the arts in this fashion of I do a piece of art it exists it's in that moment that's what happened in that moment mm-hmm. it's a snapshot of time yeah you know there's an original piece and maybe maybe I leaned on something weird maybe the, I, I put a fingerprint somewhere or I put something where I didn't mean it to go mm-hmm. and you especially with ink more so you have to react right in that moment right i'm working with black ink on a white piece of paper i can't paint over it no it's that's it i've tried white out i've tried it's always gonna be there like it never so i have to be precise in that moment so it trains you and if you were doing a live performance of music Mm -hmm. or acting Exactly. You have to be in that moment. And I, I like that. I like that tight wire walk. And then if a mistake does happen, okay, now what? How do I, how maybe the art will get better? And that's happened. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd screwed up big time. And then you put it away for a while, but you don't throw it away. 
I just right. put it aside and come back to it. Or even in that moment, say, all right, I screwed up. Now what? Okay, how can I weave this into what I'm doing? So is that like when, like, so my question is, so how long have you been drawing and painting and all that? Like how long have you been in this um, style of art? So a long time, but also not that long. So I went, to give you a little bit of a background, I went to I-61, which was had something they called the Magnet Program okay. on Staten Island, which was an arts program that you had to apply for, um, for visual art, music, and drama. So uh, I drew a lot as a kid. I was an only child to a single mom. I had tons of time to myself. And I my imagination was just, whew. Oh, yeah. So I drew all the time as a kid, and my mother pushed me to go into the school. I get in. The teacher was so hard on us. Really? Unbelievably. And it felt, to me, it felt personal at the time. Understandable. She could have seen something in me and maybe pushed me harder. I, I don't know. But it, she was hard enough on us or me that I didn't want to know nothing about art after that. So all through high school, into college, I didn't pick up so much as a pencil. I got into other things. Right. I kept creative and busy, but never with art. Right. I started ESU as a history major. I hate it. I want to drop out. I cut out of school one day and drive to Narrowsburg to my mother's house and just tell her, I said, look, this is not, I'm not having fun. I hate it. I'm not vibing with any of my peers. I was just a lonely little artist that didn't know it. And my mother said, look, let's make a deal here. She goes, you don't like history? Cool. But why don't you try to go back to art and see if you like it. And then if you don't like it, then we'll talk about it. That's cool, college. though, that she like tried to push you there, though. Right. And that, to me, that's a, it was a complete crossroads to me. And I said... We, we made that deal, and I said, you know what, okay. Because I was starting to get interested in things again, and that's pretty much started me off. And I went to ESU and switched to art, and poof. So have you always kind of done this style, or is that something that you kind of evolved into being at ESU, or like, how, like, where did this style come from? It came from my interests, which were very separate from art to begin with. So I had a proclivity to the 20s and 30s into the 40s. I was more inspired by music, you know, so like here's two musicians right here that I drew. You know, so oh wait, you did these? Yeah, yeah, both of those. You did that? Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, Thank that's you. that's amazing as well, but like, that's in, like, that isn't, wow. Thank you. Wow. So that, that one there is um, Adelaide Hall. She was a jazz singer. She sang a lot with Duke Ellington. And in her hair is, that's an actual picture. So it's somewhat of a collage. Okay. Of um, two dancers of that time period. But just just the the way you put it together. And the like again, that's why I like the black and white. Mm -hmm. Because it draws your focus to certain, like it's, it's, like I said, I think a lot of appreciation can get lost on color because it's such a whole different world in its own. Mm -hmm. There's a billion, trillion, whatever amount of colors. 
and colors can be interpreted differently per, right. into different people. Black and white and grayscale, there's only so much you can do with you know that particular aspect of the picture. You mm -hmm. have to look at a little bit more than just you know the, the colors. It, be, it fades away. Right. And what you did with just the way you know the, the, her hair, but it seems like it belongs. It's just it's a cool like. It adds so much depth, and it gives it this cool, like, little two-tone within one picture. Like, it's it's really, like, I think that's Thank awesome. You. I really like Thank that. You. And to, to elaborate the point of mistakes yielding something amazing, um, a few pieces before that. So now I do collage, too, and I'll jump back and forth. And a couple of pieces before that, I was doing a portrait, and I screwed up the hair. And it, like, I, I don't remember how I screwed it up, but I screwed it up. And I was sitting there and I was all pissed off because in my uh, first reaction is the art's ruined now. This is ruined, done, yep. spent all this time, and now it's going in the trash. So at first I thought, okay, maybe I could just redraw the hair and I'll put it on there. So I took the portrait and I cut the hair off. It was like a... A semi-profile of a woman. So I cut the hair out. And I, I I'm looking at what I had cut, cut out. And I took the picture with the piece cut out. And I had just thrown it to the side. Okay? And I'm looking at the hair. I'm like, okay, this was my mistake. This is what I need to do different. And I had thrown the picture on top of a pile of things I had cut out for a collage. And I see an image of a, like a cityscape in her hair. And I'm like, wait a minute, that looks kind of cool. And maybe if I if I move it, and I that, and that's just that's where that came from, and it evolved, and that's like for that piece. That's awesome. I then started picking um, applicable pictures to put in the hair, right? Um, you know, so and that's that's where that little style came from. And it's funny because like I don't have kids. I don't have any plans of having kids anytime soon. Um, right. But I think it's a cool thing with artists because also I meet a lot of artists who, who don't, who's, uh, I almost feel like artists wait longer than just your standard nine to five or regular, you know, mm -hmm. un, how do I say this? Like people who aren't like creatives in general, like, you know, right. musicians and, and painters and art and like people, they, they don't have, do you have kids? No. Okay. My point, and how old are you by the way? I'm 31. Oh, okay. All right. When's your birthday? February 16th. All right. February 26th. Okay. Uh, and I'm 32, so okay. very, very close. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we, we wait because I think there's almost something parental in art. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is it's, as any parent, trust me, mine are a perfect example of this, they uh -huh. have an expectation for what their kid's going to be. You're like, oh, my kid, he's going to be great. They download all their messed up like ideas of like, and they have the expectations of their kids. And mm -hmm. then they realize over time that, just because they have those expectations doesn't mean that's how their kid's going to turn out. Right. They have to kind of sit back and go, like, it's a beautiful mistake. It's a beautiful, like, chaos of possibility that I think kids are. And I think that's there's something parental in artistry because, perfect example, you thought it was going to turn out one way. Right. And when you realized, ah, oh, I made a mistake, mm -hmm. you tried to correct that mistake. Then you, it's almost like you gave the art a moment and you looked at it differently. You like yeah. Bob Ross would say, what a happy little mistake. <laughs> yeah. happy, happy accidents. Happy accident. It, you gave the art a chance to almost grow on. It's great. That, that to me is one of the craziest things about music, about uh, visual arts, about anything like that is 
they take on such for something that is i guess biologically speaking inorganic mm -hmm. and something that is um uh, uh um but something that is 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 not alive mm -hmm. to take on such a life of its own that they yeah. can grow over to a something that like that is stagnant in time like you said it is a is a piece of time of that moment mm -hmm. it will continue to evolve over time the interpretation the yeah. way you look at it the way you'll discover your lines you know you you'll you'll notice it in different ways that you had you as the artist and mm -hmm. other people as the viewer it's never changing right but it's constantly evolving it's crazy how something that is not alive something that is not like changing in the way that life changes um is still constantly changing constantly evolving it's just yeah. it's a cool little like abstract way of art and i think it, it it can it's almost parental because we have our expectations i write a song i think it's going to go a certain place right. um i have a song called devil with a halo um, actually, no, I'll even take it a step further. Um, uh, I have a song called, uh, Rock Nation. Okay. Um, which Rock Nation, um, was originally, I had taken a, uh, a couple different, like, pieces from just random pieces of songs that, like, mm -hmm. never actually made it into anything on their own. And I kind of put them together. And I was like, oh, this is the idea that I want to go with it. And originally, the song was going to be just, you know, a typical, like, late 80s song about some woman with big hair and high heels that's strutting down the road and you want that right. woman to come and it evolved it got almost dark and the song itself became how could i glorify all the horrible things that like rock music is mm -hmm. like um basically i tried to through the energy of the song through the the words that i chose through the way that i kind of wrote it the song itself um it, it like none of, like a lot of the things in the song are not things that people should aspire to do. Um, it, one of the lines is that uh, the broken bottles in the backseat uh, match the lies that I tell myself. Mm -hmm. Like realistically, that's not a characteristic that somebody wants to be able to describe their life about. You don't want right. broken bottles in your backseat and talk about the. We tell you first of all, it implies alcohol to some extent right. in a car, <laughs> which is obviously right. I have a history with. But like <laughs> it's it also like it just you know the lies that I tell myself. Well, uh, things that you're not it's the whole song is riddled with lines like that. Uh -huh. um, but I wanted to glorify it. I wanted to make it like, I, I just wanted it like, basically paint with a big red marker. Like something mm -hmm. that is just like, it was just, and the idea was the song had an idea. It had a starting point. I had a, a concept of where I wanted to go. Right. It never got there. It's a completely different route. It ended up something completely different. It's one of my favorite songs to play because it's such an, it's such a gritty, energetic rock song. Um, it would have never gone there if things had gone according to plan. Right. Same deal as what you're talking about with mm -hmm. your picture. It's, it's, it's almost like I said, parental in the fact that like just because we have a plan for our little, artistic children right. doesn't mean it's going to get there. But it's, it's fun to watch it grow. And it grows by your own hands, by your own brain, by your own actual actions. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's one of the fun things that I think that like, obviously I think parents will be the first ones to tell you, you don't know what it's like to raise a kid. And be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. And I, I admit that. But also I think artists can agree with that statement that it is something like nurturing and parental and, and something like, uh, instinctual. Oh yeah. So I, I, I'm sure it's not the same. And again, neither one of us have kids but 
when a new piece of my art has to go to a gallery for four months, I, I don't know. Like, I feel... Yes, I, I feel that. Like, oh, you're going off into the world. Exactly. You know? I, like, I completely <laughs> understand. Completely yeah. understand. Like, but I think it also is why I think artists become so connected to their music or mm -hmm. their, their, their art in that general, whether it's what yeah. you do or what I do is because it is something we create. It is our, it's pieces of us in yeah. some fashion. It's, it, you know, obviously you don't know those people, no. but the point is that is, they look the way they do. That piano is the way it is. Mm -hmm. The, the lines, the creativity, the expressions on their face. Um, it's all of that is because of, your touch mm -hmm. and your strokes and your everything from the mood from your energy level like the fatigue of your hand everything boils down to what shape that it's yeah. it's like you said it's a moment of time that cannot be replicated mm -hmm. you can copy that picture all you want right. you're never going to copy that moment in no. time and i think that because of that that's why you get that feeling mm -hmm. you send that picture away and you're like because no matter how much that hit somebody or fake somebody might you know look at this picture and they'll go oh my god it reminds me of my mother somehow like and they mm -hmm. think such an emotional connection they'll never have that connection that you did as the creator right like me with my song time for a change mm -hmm. um it was one of the reasons i, I stopped going to that studio okay. because that song has evolved on its own. When I started playing for the band, it became very upbeat. It became very, which was funny because we would, the song would be very upbeat and sped up. We would go into Every Rose Has a Thorn by Poison. Okay. And also keep the upbeat, sped up tempo. And people would be like dancing mm -hmm. to Every Rose Has a Thorn. Where that's kind of a sad song. It's yeah. like a ballad from the 80s. Right. But people were like, at the end, be like, that's actually kind of a cool way to do in that song. Like, I'm like, yeah, normally not people are very happy listening to that song. It's not a happy emotion. Mm -hmm. But people are dancing to it now. But... Um, Time for a Change was actually written as a very stripped down, emotionally driven, just freaking very simple song because right. the, the, the idea behind it was that was my first exploration in music to deal with me mm -hmm. was this Time for a Change and like the, the lyrics, once you understand the concept behind the song, the lyrics become a little more straightforward. But obviously, without knowing that background, that's why there were so many different interpretations. Because they were fairly direct, but without having a starting point, anybody could place any starting point there and just run with it. Which is right. why I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was it was something so simple, so so me, so personal. It it could be interpreted in a million different ways, but nobody could have that that ownership of time mm -hmm. that I as the creator did. Same right. with you, with the art that you make. People. People can be feel so connected and so enthralled and so 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 something feel something for something you create, but they'll never know that almost parental right. um, connection as to the person who actually created it. And I think that's kind of special, and it's individual for each artist. Right. But I think that's kind of a special thing about the art. Yeah, I, I have, I'll tell you, I have it so bad that I would rather give my art to somebody I like than sell it. To somebody I don't. It's how I am with writing music. Yeah. That's why I have such a hard time when people are like, "Oh, you should be a songwriter." I'm like, mm. yeah. <laughs> I don't like. I just I don't because somebody else like and I'm, I, again I'm, maybe it's a little. I, I chalk it up to being selfish, but it's also it's like like you said. It's I'd rather see it go to somebody I know 
mm-hmm. who maybe has history with it or understands my feelings towards it. Like, um, but on the flip side, that's why like, um, I don't write songs. I, I like twice in my life, I've written mm-hmm. songs for people. Well, once mm-hmm. I wrote a song for someone, okay. um, I've never played that song since because that relationship went awry. Mm-hmm. There was another song that I wrote, um, which I tweaked a little bit to be for somebody. Um, and I loved it. It was a song called, um, Summertime, Ch- Summertime Fine. Okay. It was a cool little, like, upbeat, lighthearted, little jammy song. Um, and I had kind of switched out, like, I had changed the green eyes to blue eyes in the song. And, mm-hmm. like, and I, I'll never change it back because the way, that's just the direction they took. Right. But it was one of my favorite songs to play. And I couldn't play it for three years because me and that particular individual were no longer involved. And, like, right. it became such a connective point. Like, mm-hmm. I could play a song at an open mic and look, and I would see the blue eyes that were now in the song. Mm-hmm. And it was it was too much. Right. So, like, I took a step away from dedicating and, like, making art for somebody. Um, and I just let people claim it as they'd like. And yeah. kept it personal, maybe being a little selfish with it. But, um, but it, it, was, it was almost like a, a boundary that I had to place on my art. Mm-hmm. Because my connection to what I create was so strong that to attach another person to it is almost right. too intimate. Right. So, fine. Just me. <laughs> yeah, and you, like, as, as we go, you know, you, you learn yourself. Agreed. You learn, okay, I know myself, and this is, this is how this is going to go. The way I work now is I will leave room for anything. So, like, I recently did, um... Portrait of Richard Pryor, the comedian. Okay, it's a portrait. I want it obviously to look like him. So that's those are the rules. I will leave moments, and to me, it always goes back to jazz, old jazz specifically, where so you have like your head arrangement. Mm -hmm. This needs to be drawn or played this way. Right. But then here's some room here for improvisation. Right. Where I can just let myself be free and that has been so much fun is to be able to feed that part of me that that workaholic who wants to get it right and Mm -hmm. wants to be precise but also let there be room for total freedom now with that freedom does it give you a little bit of a a, um almost a relaxation as far as your connected your connection to the arc knowing that it it was in the moment and you can't have it back or does it actually like enhance your connection to the art because it's so moment specific. Definitely enhances it. It makes sense. Definitely it definitely makes it. sense. More than the best way to explain it in my terms, I guess, would be drawing. If I'm doing a portrait and I'm getting the face right, that's technical. That's concentrated technical. Whereas when that gate opens and those horses run, right. And I'm just free-forming it. That is stressful in the moment. Oh, I'm sure. Because you don't want to screw up. But it's way more connecting because Mm -hmm. it's just a feel thing. Like, I just feel closer to it. Because I know there's less in between me and the art when it's completely free than when I'm being technical. Right. Well, I think it, it becomes less static and more emotional. Yeah. And, like, I was always, because I came from a very, like, 
a very country or classic rock it, they, they're very standard structures of songs like it, it's, right. it's basically you know there's a lot of four chord or like eight chord different progressions where you bounce back and forth mm -hmm. it's it's not a lot of creativity but you can it, the creativity tends to come with certain like you know lyrical phrasing and stuff like that mm -hmm. or it, it's it's more in the the impact of the emotion it's a lot more like well i'm not going to wow you with my words or my guitar playing but i want to play it in which it give it forces like yeah. an emotion on you um but one thing i learned to appreciate was uh, brian roder my guitarist mm -hmm. um kenny to some extent but brian was the one i started the band with and um brian came from a very different uh, more musical um background with it whereas he was a grateful dead fan he was the Allman okay. brothers fish right. um a lot of this jam band that was yeah. very interpretive right. and very less structured i've seen uh -huh. dark star orchestra play I, I forget how many times now because mm -hmm. of him um where a lot of it is you know we have like you said a starting point and then they take a step back and they free themselves from like their the discipline of this is what we have to do and they just say where's it going to go and mm -hmm. i'm going to let it go there and it kind of playing with them and allowing myself to like it, it kind of worked because i was able to influence them to have a good structured starting point and then to be able to just have something some kind of a foundation to build upon and then we could literally let the chips fall wherever they went during the song during the right. show um that's why we never we've never used set lists um people have asked oh well, what songs are on your set right. list i'm like i have no idea what do you right. mean you don't know, you played three shows this weekend what'd you get like i don't know <laughs> we know what songs we can play. Right. We know what songs we have the ability to try. And occasionally we'll throw, if somebody throws something at us, we'll give it a shot. But it was always based on how the crowd reacts, how we're feeling, how we're vibing off each other. It was always in the moment and it was always emotionally driven. And where, like you said, I mean, there were shows that like, it was very stressful because mm -hmm. you just, you have no idea what's going to happen. You're like, I'm just kind of flying. But then, after that moment passes, I was explaining it to uh, to Michaela because mm -hmm. now that I moved away, I've I've been telling all of them for years. Mm -hmm. Like, the way you get better is to go play with other artists or yeah. talk, go to old mics or talk, do this, talk to other people from yeah. other like artistic mediums, and it gets you better. It expands your brain. It makes you more creative. So Michaela finally went out and she actually well a band found her um, very well-established band they've been together for like 30 years mm -hmm. they were looking for a new lead singer it's called tool shed, tool shed jack okay. um and she was like oh my god it's you know it's so nerve-wracking i'm like yeah but you know what's gonna happen is eventually the conscious like structure of what you're doing is gonna go away and you're gonna go on autopilot mm -hmm. and I, I told her i said and it's just it's a little bit more when it's completely destructured like mm -hmm. how we've done with the bandana brothers where it's kind of like brian's gonna do his thing Kenny's going to do his thing. Tyrone's going to do his thing. I'll probably try to sing a couple lines here and then I'll do my thing on my acoustic. And then somehow, it's one of the magics of music. I think it, it's also within like visual mediums too. It's like somehow you'll just, whether it's the middle or the end of it, you'll you'll complete a, a sequence in your drawing or I'll complete a sequence in the song or whatever. And you just hit that line. You hit that note. You find that pause point. And it's... It just, it's like, that's where that was supposed to go. Yeah. I had no idea. I couldn't have planned it. There's a billion different options where this could have gone, but that's where it was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. it, it was, it, and it's a weird, like, it's a weird feeling of it being perfect, even though perfect is impossible. 
Yeah. It, it's like, and that's, I was trying to tell Michaela, I said, it, it's a little different when you come, when you have jam band elements involved, but like just from a music perspective, you're eventually going to kick on autopilot and no one's really going to be like consciously doing the same thing. You're all going to be doing it because you just feels good. And I said, you're going to all just somehow end up on the same note. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you hit it, you're going to take a deep mental breath and just smile because like you had no idea that you were going to arrive exactly where you were supposed to arrive. Right. And I think that's a cool thing. Like I said, that, that to be shared between the mediums is yeah. like those, those happy, happy mistakes or whatever. Uh -huh. Like it's the, the end result was inevitable. It makes perfect sense in the end. It, it's, it's where that belonged to be. It's, it could have never done anything else, but it's an impossible in, fathomable uh, concept to go how is how is that possible how could it have ended so uniquely so perfect and like even something that isn't like well again that's not what that was supposed to be but look at it that's exactly what that was supposed to be yeah. it's just it's a cool like it's a cool mind fuck <laughs> it, 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 it feels like bigger than us yes exactly yeah. exactly and i'm not a religious person i'm not a spiritual i mm -hmm. i think you're Big old circle of life from Lion King. Like, we live, we become worm food, we're gonna feed the cows, and I'm gonna, yeah. the next generation's gonna have a burger. Right. But it does make, it does give it a calm, cosmic feel. It does make yeah. it seem bigger because we, I mean, as artists, we don't know why we do the things we do. We just yeah. know that it, it makes us feel complete. It makes us feel good. Yeah. It makes us feel connected to something. And when you, when you reach a point in any, any work of, of, of art, that you can take a step back and like see just where the chips fell, how everything aligned. Yeah. It, it, it just, it's weird. It makes everything make sense, but nothing at all. So where can folks find you and your work? Um, I, I, uh, they can find me on Facebook, obviously is always the easiest because everybody and their mother has one. Right. <laughs> um, and the older we get, the more mothers have one. Um, yeah. but it's, uh, JC Caprill music. My first name is spelled J A Y C I E. JC Caprill Music. Um, on Instagram, it's just JC Music. Um, and those are pretty much the two biggest spots to, to find stuff. I the, the Instagram I use to post little clips and little videos. Um, Facebook is usually more of a promotional tool. Get all the yeah. shows out there, that whole thing. Um, I'm very interactive with people on the Instagram account. Um, but yeah, that's usually where I do it. I'm still working on the whole... Uh, SoundCloud and all that stuff. I Like I said, yeah. I, I have music recorded. I'm just holding off until I'm comfortable releasing it. Um, but yeah, so like the Facebook, the Instagram, the usual stuff. Gotcha. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing the show. It was, it was great talking with you and um, you know, get to know a little bit what you're about. And I can't thank you enough for having me out. Like I said, this is, it's awesome that you're doing this. It's awesome that you're providing just artists in general, a great platform to, to sit down and discuss the music, but also like expand upon it. That's that's the cool yeah. thing I think about what you're doing is you're you're allowing the conversation to drift off into other areas, and that's that's cool. I think it, it makes it relatable. I think it makes it explorative, and I think it's a great example of how a creative medium works. So I thank you very much for letting me be a part of yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like no matter what form of arts people may be in, in terms of the process, we have so much in common. I agree. With I the agree. creative process. And by talking about it, 
that's how we figure it out. And I think that's also how we learn. Like the different creative disciplines and everything, like just because something's more visual than it is auditory, or like like how I said, like the reason I play is because it's more of a physical thing. Music is perceived as just an audio-based medium, whereas there's so much more to it. Yeah. Same with you know a, a painting or poetry or any kind of a, the the influences and the way it influences other people bleeds through. So I think it's a it's a good thing to be able to have a space where artists of all types can kind of share in that creativity. So like I said, again, I think this is awesome that you're doing this and I'm really happy that I could be a part of it. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> it. All right, folks, was that an episode or was that an episode? I hope you enjoyed it because I definitely did. You could find more of JC online at JC Caprill Music. She's always playing different places. She does a lot of shows. She's a very productive musician. And I think it's definitely worth it for you to check her out. I've seen her perform live, and it's fantastic. There's going to be a lot more exciting episodes coming up. We've got rappers, comedians, other artists. i got big plans for the future of the show going forward. It's going to be a great summer for Planet Shivers. We're going to ease you right into fall nice and easy. In the meantime, you could find more episodes of Planet Shivers on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. You could find what I'm up to on Facebook, Albert Shivers, or on Instagram, at Albert Shivers, Patreon, Albert Shivers Artist, and I'm accepting tips for the podcast and for the art on Cash App, dollar sign, Shivers Art. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. And I'll talk to you on the next podcast.